How many of you have seen the uh, movie Fireproof? If you want to see it in the uh, movie theaters, you need to uh, move on quickly. We don't know how long it's going to be there. Uh, we are offering anybody who brings back their ticket stubs to show us that you've been to the movie, we will give you a free copy of The Love Dare, which is the book they talk about in the movie. Excellent, excellent movie. Um, the storyline is great. And a um, couple of reasons we need to go. One is we need to support Christian films, and, and it's very... Uh, very strong message about God and, and God in marriage. And uh, also we need, we need folks to go because you need to see this movie to understand the power that God can have in marriages. And it, then if you know somebody who's struggling, take them uh, to the movie. Uh, lots of things. I've, I've heard of people putting their, their relationships back together on the way home from watching this movie. It's, it's that powerful. So we want to encourage you to, to be a part of that. It, the only one... Uh, it's playing in Tyler. It's not playing here, so you got to go over there um, to do that. If you if you don't have the money to go, we will buy you a ticket to go. We think it's that important for you to go and be a part of that. Um, I want to start off with your memory verse today, and uh, you have it on your listening guide. You have it on the the memory verse card. Here it is. So let us stop going over the basics of Christianity again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature. The number one issue that I deal with when I'm doing marriage counseling, and, and I, I prefer to do pre-marriage counseling, but, but I do a lot of post-marriage counseling. Number one problem that I deal with is one or both of the people is immature. They need to grow up. The number one issue in every church I've ever been a part of is immaturity. People need to grow up. And the Bible says that God wants you to grow. He expects us to grow. And that's why one of the reasons, one of the, the goals of our church is to help every person who comes in the door grow spiritually, emotionally, relationally. That's, that's what we want you to have, a balanced Christian life. And we want you to know it's possible with God. The Bible says all things are possible with God. You don't know my life. Well, you don't know my God. All things are possible with God. And we want to help you get a balanced life. We want to help you in marriages, in raising your children, in, in how to do your finances. We want to help you in all of those areas. And so what we're going to look at is this idea of growing up spiritually. And we're going to challenge you today to make some changes where you can begin to grow spiritually. But first, let's look at what maturity is not. There's a couple of things on your listening guide that maturity is not. Maturity is not age. I've known a lot of people that have been Christians for 30, 40, 50 years, and they're some of the most selfish, bitter, childish people that I've ever seen in my life. So just age does not make you a strong Christian. But I've also known folks who have only been Christians for a few months who are some of the most selfless, humble, loving, giving people that I've ever seen in my life. And the transformation came because they met Christ. And they remember, they remember what it's like to be on a path towards hell and to be saved from that. And they're grateful for that. So age does not uh, equal maturity. Maturity is also not appearance. I've had people come to my office, um, not office here, this would obviously be in, in another time and space, but I've had people come to my office that if you were to only show up on the weekends, you would look at them and say, they are pillars of the church. They're here every time the doors are open. Uh, they look godly. They carry their Bibles. They know all of the Bible verses. They say amen and yes, sir, and, and all of these different things. But behind closed doors, they're mean spirit. They stomp their feet and they want their way and, and they don't give a rip what God says. It's what they say. I've been in this church since before this preacher came and I'm going to be here after this preacher leaves. Well, none of you can say that about this church. Now, you may be here after I leave, but you weren't here before I got here. 
But I've had people behind closed doors become these mean-spirited folks and tell me what I better do or they'll have my job. That's not spiritual maturity. It doesn't matter what you look like. Spiritual maturity is also not achievement. I have a Bachelor of Church Music degree from Baylor University, and none of you gives a rip. I mean, right? Who cares? I'm using that degree to its fullest potential right now, as you can tell. I have a Master's of Religious Education from Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. You don't care. Really, I don't care. Um, Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite writers and preachers, said, get a good education and get over it. Nobody cares how many degrees you have. There was a, a seminary professor that was, that was an interim pastor at one of the churches I, year, I was at years ago. And he used to say, he would say it jokingly, but it's actually the truth. He'd say, those who can preach, preach. Those who can't, teach at the seminary. You've got some of the most degreed people on the face of the planet teaching at seminaries. And some of them are jerks. I've hung out with pastors that are jerks. I've heard, I've hung out with pastors that tell some of the most foul mouth jokes you've ever heard. I've heard them talk about people. And just because you've got degrees, just because you've got some kind of achievement does not mean you are spiritually mature. Get over your achievements. Now, I didn't put this on your listening guide and I should have. Write this down. This is, this is profound. God says that maturity is attitude. Maturity is attitude. Your attitude demonstrates whether you're mature or not. And specifically when we're talking about spiritual maturity, your attitude, spiritual maturity equals living life like Christ would. Your attitude, it says in Philippians chapter 2, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who though he was equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he gave it all up and he became a human, put on skin and bones and blood and, and, and came out of a womb and laid in a, in a feeding trough. He gave his, he said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. You want to be spiritually mature, then you got to act like Jesus. You got to live like Jesus lived. Well, all right. We're going to, we're going to measure spiritual maturity not by what, what normal church people think. We're going to measure it by the Word of God. We're going to measure spiritual maturity by Jesus Christ. And let's look at, over these next six weeks, we're going to be doing kind of a, a, a quick study of the book of James. If you bring your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to the book of James. Today, we're going to give you an overview of what that study is going to look like. There's five things in the book of James that, that he says are marks of a mature person, a spiritually mature person. We're going to take one from different chapters, and then in the succeeding weeks, we're going to specifically look at each of those chapters and, and how that can apply to your life. Um, James has been described as the gospel in blue jeans. The gospel, all that means is good news. The gospel refers to the first four chapters of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those four chapters contain Jesus Christ putting on skin, coming from heaven to earth, be, be, uh, being born of a virgin, giving his life as a ransom for many, being crucified, laid in a tomb, and raised from the dead. That's the good news, is even though you and I are dead in our sins, Christ has provided a way for us to get back to him. If you want just a manual on spiritual maturity, read the book of James. I was reading through the whole book this last week. I'm going to read through the book of James. It's only five chapters. I'm going to read through it every week during this series, and I would challenge you to do the same. If you want to understand very clearly how to be a mature Christian, then you read the book of James, and that's what we're going to study. So let's look at these five things that James says are marks of a mature person. Number one, a mature person is positive under pressure. Positive under pressure. 
Basically, what that means is attitude is a choice. How many of you, and, and I'm, I'm going to raise my hand first because this is me. How many of you have ever said, they make me so mad? All right, let's do a little truth telling. Nobody can make you mad. Oh, yes, they can. No, they can't. You choose to get mad. I'll give you an example. My kids aren't in here today, so I can talk a whole lot about them. They're serving back in the, in the, in the children's area. I don't know about you, but me, I can't stand it when my kids argue. I can be in the best mood and I choose to get in a bad mood when my kids start arguing. I choose, it's a, it's a switch. You just flip that switch, you see the electricity come on, that, that's me. And, and I'll be in the other end of the house. And, and Janie homeschools our children and that's when you better, cause I'm the principal. You better not mess up, with, especially you don't sass the teacher. I don't go for that. And I'll be inside the house and I will hear my children starting to yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And the door opens. I open the door and it's like this immediate nothing. And their eyes get big. And I say, did I just hear an attitude out here? And you can see it. They're all going, oh, no. And they'll go, yes, sir. And I'll say, why? I don't know. And, and, and you see, they chose to have a different attitude because the attitude adjuster walked in the room. And I'll be happy to adjust your attitude. If you smart off to your mom, if you hit your brother. Now, my, the, the brother is not allowed to. I asked him the other day because actually one of the sisters hit the brother. And I said, he doesn't get to hit you, doesn't he? And, and she goes, no. And I looked at him. And I said, how come you don't get to hit her? And he goes, I don't know, but it would be the end of my life if I did. And I said, you are so right. Um, one time, he, years ago, he was little, and he said he was going to hit her with a bat. And you have never seen me come out of a chair so quickly, scoop up that little blonde-headed, blue-eyed boy, and explain to him if he ever did, it'd be his last breath on this earth. Brought you into the world, I'll take you out. But, but here's my point. You can choose an attitude. And it's amazing how quickly my kids, if they don't think I'm in the room, they will go all out at each other. They will, they will give their mother the devil. If I walk in the room, it just changes. What I want to do with my kids is help them understand how to have the right attitude when I'm not there. Kind of sounds like what our Heavenly Father wants to do with us. This idea comes straight from the Bible. Look at James 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, this, this is what we need to realize from this verse. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, uh, well developed, not deficient in any way. Now, a good coach, I was watching all kinds of football yesterday because I was just lazy yesterday. And, you know, it's Texas OU weekend, and I, I love to watch that game. And I just watched a whole lot of football yesterday. And one of the things they talk about over and over is you, you begin to see what kind of player a person is when they undergo adversity. If everything goes well, you, you don't really understand what kind of heart is necessary there. I watch UFC as well. They talk about it all the time. This guy's got heart. We watched a, a fight last night that was five rounds of one guy getting his brains beaten out. And, and he just kept coming back and kept coming back and said, he's got heart. I said, he's got no brains, but the dude's got heart. And he was beaten to a bloody pulp. And, and <laughs> you, you begin to understand what a person is like when they're under pressure. 
And God says, since, since most of us don't grow and mature when things are going well, you know what God allows to come into your life? Trials, pressure, because it reveals what you are like from the inside. And, you know, I've got to be, I've got to be honest with you. My nature, when pressure comes, my nature is to be negative. I grew up in an environment where I would call my dad and I'd say, Dad, the, the, the car has a little bit of uh, clicking going on. Oh, you probably blew the engine. Golly, you didn't put any oil in again. But when's the last time you checked the oil? And I'm like, Dad, it's clicking. It's not smoking, you know. I've been in a car. Actually, I was in a car one time where I didn't put oil in it and it did blow up. I'm very familiar with that. It's clicking, Dad. And, and But then Dad was incredible because after he got through the, the initial, it's the worst possible situation, it's going to cost thousands of dollars to fix it, then Dad would get about repairing it. He was incredible. And he was so kind. If you just got through the first thing, and that is so ingrained in me that when pressure hits, the first thing that comes out is, Dad, gum, this is bad! And then I dig in my heels, and I, and I don't care what it is. I try to figure out, it is so like me, and I pray all the time that my son will not be cursed like I am for my father. And my dad's got a lot of good, great qualities. Everybody that knows him says, he's a great man. But the first thing that comes out of his mouth is negative. And I fight that all of the time. So when, when pressure comes, are you negative or are you positive? If you begin to exhibit a pattern of being positive, then you're growing spiritually. If the people around you are shielding themselves because you're always negative, maybe that's a sign that there's some immaturity that you need to deal with in your life. Christianity is a life. It's not a religion. It's a life. And with life comes problems. And with problems comes the opportunity to figure out solutions to those problems. And you face them with the right attitude. That actually is usually half of the battle. What's your natural attitude when things don't go right? Are you irritated or are you positive? James 1.12 says, Happy are those who remain faithful under trials because when they succeed in passing such a test, they will receive as their reward the life which God has promised to those who love them. All of life is a test. God is watching us to see whether we will pass those tests or not. God wants to know how you handle stress. When you learn to trust Him, you're growing strong, and that's what God wants. So, are you a, a mature person is positive under pressure. Number two, a mature person is sensitive to people. Sensitive to people. James 2.8 says, Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you obey this law, you are doing right. A quick way to figure out whether a person is mature or not is watch how they handle, how they react to other people. A person who can't stand children... Hang on. Don't, don't say you are one of those because you're not going to like this. A person who can't stand children probably has not grown up themselves. And the reason they don't like children is because they found somebody who's more selfish than them and it's taking the spotlight off of them. We'll move on. Some of you are giggling, some of you are not. Um, the person uh, who only likes cool people, they're probably someone who wishes they were cool. The person who only hangs out with people who have status and drive the right cars and wear the right kind of clothes, they're probably an insecure little child who doesn't know how to deal with life, and so they compensate with labels. Now, the Bible is real clear on this point. In Matthew 25, there's a description of, of Jesus. He's, he's the one talking, and he says, at the end of time, God's going to gather us all up in front of him, and he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. The goats in this situation don't represent good people. The goats are going to hell. They're going to be burned in hell. The sheep represent the good people. 
And I want you to listen to what Jesus had to say, Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on the right, this, that's the sheep, the good ones, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And here it is. And the king will look at them and he'll say, I assure you, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Here's your sign. If you want to know whether you are growing spiritually, how do you treat people? How do we respond when we're presented with a need of, of kids not even having water to drink? How do we respond um, when, when we see someone that, that is in need? Because all of us, I guarantee you, nobody here feels like they are rich. But, but feeling has nothing to do with whether you're rich or not. You live on the richest, in the richest country on the planet. There are people that would love to have your bills living in other places. How do you respond when you're presented with a need? How do you respond to people who aren't like you? How do you respond to people who aren't popular? How do you respond to people who stink? Wes had a dog in his house last night that stunk. Gosh, I was glad it wasn't a person. It stunk. How do you react? That begins to show you the condition of your heart. James chapter 2, we'll look at this in a couple of weeks. James gets very, very specific and he says, don't show favoritism, don't be a snob, don't look down on people, don't judge by appearance, don't insult people, don't exploit people. And from this spiritual growth manual we call the book of James, we learn that the second test of maturity is how do you treat other people? Third mark of a mature person. Oh, shoot. Mature person has mastered his mouth. James 3, 2. We all make many mistakes. Everybody say, I know that's right, baby. All right, we're going to practice that because I'm going to go back. We all make many mistakes. No, we all make many mistakes. But those who control their tongues can also control themselves in every other way. When you go to the doctor for a checkup, you know, they check your blood pressure, they check your height and your weight, and, and they take your temperature, and eventually... The doctor will say, open your mouth and stick out your tongue. And what's that little thing they stick in there on your tongue? Tongue depressor. Why do they stick that thing? Because the doctor can't do jack with that flab, slab of meat flapping in the wind. Okay? He's got to get that out of the way before he can even do the checkup. He can't do his job with your tongue flapping. Neither can God. God can't do a spiritual checkup on you because your tongue is flapping. Abraham Lincoln, I didn't even know where this came from until this week. It's one of my favorite quotes of all times. And I just this week found out on the Internet that Abraham Lincoln said this. Here it is. Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. You've ever been to a party? Ever been anywhere where there's a gathering of people? You're thinking, I wish they'd shut up. Right? Okay. But the Bible says it even better. I like the way Abe said it, but, but look what Proverbs 17, 28 says. Even fools are thought to be wise when they keep silent. When they keep their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. They seem intelligent. 
In other words, shut up. If you want to be mature, shut up. Have you ever said that to your kids? Not do you want to be mature, but shut up. I did yesterday. And then I had to call him over. And I said, baby, I, I should not have told you to shut up. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? He goes, he goes, yes, sir. And he goes, I shouldn't have been a smart aleck. Because he'd already said something to his mom that was smart aleck. And I heard him say it again. He didn't know I heard it. So we hugged and, and made up. Now, gossip, you got to understand this. Gossip is a children's game that hurts when adults play it. In World War II, there was a saying, loose, lick, loose lips sink ships. You know what that means? Too much information can be deadly. Well, let me just say that loose lips sink marriages. Loose lips sink friendships. Loose lips sink churches. Here's a definition of gossip. Hearing something you like about somebody you don't. And then passing it on. Hearing some juicy tidbit about somebody you don't like that could make them look worse, and so you pass it on. And when you repeat that juicy bit of information, you're displaying for everyone around you that you're an infant, that you do not know how to live the Christian life correctly. Self-control comes from tongue control. We get ourselves in trouble by what we say and what we think, what we speak. James chapter 3 gives several illustrations. He says our tongue is like a rudder. We'll get to this in a few weeks. A rudder, like a bit in a horse's mouth, a spark, a snake, a stream of water. He says you put a little bit in a horse's mouth, you can control where that horse goes. He says you, you uh, take a little rudder on a big boat or a big ship. That little rudder determines where that ship is going to go. It, it, it controls the direction of the boat. Your tongue, which in comparison to the rest of your body is small, can have very, very large impact. It can destroy your life. It can destroy other people's lives. It can, your tongue can be used for good or for bad. And the Bible actually says that, that, that good water can't come from a bad stream. You don't get both. And so the Bible is saying that we need to learn to control our tongue. So if you can't think of anything good to say, shut up! Look what James says, 126. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're just fooling yourself and your religion is what? How much is it worth? Nothing. I can appear to be spiritually mature and if I gossip, my religion is worthless. If I spread rumors, my religion is worthless. And this is a very, very big deal. If I seem to be getting hot under the collar, I am. This is the number one disease in every church I've ever been a part of. And when you go through class 101, when you sign that little commitment card saying, I want to be a part of the church, you have made a commitment that, that you are going to come to church, that you're going to give to the church, that you're going to support the leadership. And one of the things that you say is, I will not gossip about the church. And let me just tell you, the Bible is real clear on how we're going to handle it. If you gossip, the first, if you come to me and give me a juicy bit of information, first thing I'm going to say is, have you talked to that person? If you haven't, I'm going to explain to you that you are supposed to according to Scripture. And then I'm going to that person. And I'm going to tell them, you said it. Because I'm not going to play this sorry game of, I'm going to tell you something, but keep it secret. No. No. I'm not going to do it. 
And, and there are certain things that, that we do need to know, but there's a lot of stuff that we don't need to know because it's just garbage. And so we're going to, I spend a lot of my time putting out fires. And quite honestly, I'm tired of it. We need to grow up and watch our mouths. Do you know you can be kicked out of Celebrate Recovery if you don't keep things in confidence? You will not even be allowed to come back if you violate a confidence because what we do in Celebrate Recovery is so uh, important to someone getting back where they need to be healthy emotionally and spiritually and relationally that you can be kicked out of it. And what we're going to do, exactly what the Bible says to do, the Bible says if you have a problem with someone, you go to them. You don't tattle and tell somebody else. You go to them. If you can't work it out, then the Bible says the second step is you get some witnesses. And so you get some witnesses and you come together. Now, let me say this. Every time Matthew chapter um, 15, verses 18 through and following, no, 18, 15, sorry, said that wrong. It tells us exactly to do this. Go to somebody one-on-one. Go to somebody with some witnesses if you can't work it out. The purpose of conflict resolution is reconciliation. So we're not out to kick people out of the church. That's not the goal of, of what we're trying to do. But every one of you has been somewhere, whether it was a work situation or a church situation or some whatever situation where people gossiped and it was not handled correctly and it will destroy friendships and lives. So we're not going to, we're not going to fan flames. We're going to put out the flames. And the best way to put out the flames is to get the people in the room. This person said this about you. Is it true? If it's true, we need to deal with that. You need to repent and grow up. But we're not going to put up with trash. We'll give people every opportunity to grow up. We want to dispense grace. That's what our church was started for. People who are far from God, they don't need to be beat over the head with the Bible. They need grace. But they also need people who call on the name of Jesus, who say they are followers of Christ, to grow up. Because then when you dispense grace, it's real. It's not an act. And they know it's real. We will give you every opportunity to straighten up. But if there is poison and you continue to poison the church, you will be asked to leave. Anything that causes disunity in the church is sin. Gossip is sin. Let's not pretend it's a child's game. It is sin. And it divides and it destroys and we will not tolerate it. Is that clear? Thank you. All right. So, a mature person is positive under pressure, sensitive to people, and has mastered his mouth. Number four, a mature person is a peacemaker. James 4.1 says, do you know where your fights and arguments come from? By the way, anybody who says the, the Bible is an old book that's not relevant today has never read it. It is incredibly practical. Look at this last part of the verse. They come from the selfish desires that war within you. All right, so here's some questions we need to ask. Am I a peacemaker? Am I a troublemaker? Do I like to argue? Am I a contentious person? Do I get my feelings hurt? Do I get defensive easily? Do I hurt other people's feelings? The mark of a mature person is a lack of conflict in his or her life. But what, but what you're thinking is, conflict is everywhere. How do, I, how do I get away from conflict? Well, the Bible tells us here in James that there are two primary reasons for conflict. The first one is in this verse. Or actually, look at verse 3. <clears throat> Even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole motive is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. James says one of the reasons for conflict is selfishness. When I want what you have and I can't have it, 
we're going to have conflict. Right? You see this with children. You see it with people in the church all the time. There's a second reason for conflict, and it's in James 4, 11 and 12. Don't speak evil against each other, my dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize each other and condemn each other, then you are criticizing and t- condemning God's law. But you are not a judge who can, who can decide whether the law is right or wrong. Your job is to obey it. God alone who made the law can rightly judge among us. He alone has the power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to condemn your neighbor? The other source of conflict, according to the Bible, is judging others. Now, all of us are guilty of judging at times. God says, don't do it. And and there are three reasons why he says don't do it. Number one, you ain't God. Bible says God has the right to judge. He has the job. The job description is too difficult for any one of us. So we're not God. Number two, God has all the facts. God can judge someone's thoughts and the motives of their hearts. Now, you may think you know somebody. But but you go into a situation and talk to somebody about some disagreement you have and assume that you know everything they're thinking and what's going to happen with you. You're going to be in a fight. Because assuming puts us in a stupid position where we think we're God. Oh, well, you said this, but you really meant this. You don't have all the facts. God does. It's His job to judge. Number three, I don't know the motives and you don't either. You can't tell what's in somebody's heart, but God can. So only God has the right to judge. He knows everything. He knows the motives. He sees our hearts. He's got the truth so He can judge. So we're supposed to stop. Selfishness and judging causes conflicts. The fourth characteristic of a mature person is, are you a peacemaker or are you a troublemaker? Troublemakers, if that's a way of life, that shows you're an infant. Number five, a mature person is patient and prays. I love the fifth chapter of James. First half of the chapter, it's dealing with patience. How many of you are, need some patience in your life? Yeah, uh-huh. um, the second half of the chapter talks about prayer. And, and let me just finish this up right here. James 5, 7 says, Dear brothers and sisters, you must be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who eagerly look for rains in the fall and, and in the spring. They patiently wait for the precious harvest to ripen. Have you ever planted anything? If you've ever planted any seed, does it come up overnight? I mean, we did the bean thing back in school, you know, and every day we'd run in the classroom and look to see if it sprouted, and it took forever. The Bible says that, that God wants to teach you patience. And God specifically wants to teach you the difference between no and not yet. Have your children figured that one out? Because to a kid, not yet means no. I mean, not yet. You might as well be saying no. And my kids have started to figure this out. And I have to be very careful with my words. Because if I mean no, I need to say no. Because they've now figured out if I say not yet, I mean sometime. Sometime. I don't know when, but sometime. Daddy? And then I say, if you pester me, it becomes a no. So not yet. And so my kids, and actually a lot of times I'm testing them. If they'll remain patient, I'll reward them with more than what they wanted to do. If they get impatient, come here. I was going to do what you wanted me to do. But because your attitude was bad, sorry. You know how they learn that a not yet is different from a no? By hanging out with Janie and me. By learning that we actually want the best for them. 
that we will shower them with more than, than what they wanted if they will have the right attitude. Well, you know how you get to know God that His not yet is different from a no? You spend time with Him. That's through prayer. Look at James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results. In the last few weeks of this series, we're going to look at how to pray in such a way that God, He always hears your prayers, but that He responds. And, and part of the way you do that is you begin to learn to pray for what God already wants to do. That's a guaranteed answer to prayer. And so we're going to look at that and try to teach you some principles about how to pray and how to persevere and pray so that you get to know God. And, and you know, I've heard people say, don't ever pray for patience because God will test you. That's not understanding who God is. Now, God wants you to grow up. That's the whole purpose of, of the Bible is to teach us how to grow up. But God's a God of love. But if He has to choose between your holiness, which is you looking more like Christ, and your happiness, He always chooses the holiness because you take your holiness with you beyond the grave if you are a follower of Christ. Your character and your holiness go into heaven, not your happiness. So if God has to make a choice, He's going to choose for your holiness because then you begin to resemble Jesus Christ. And that's what He wants. That's part of why He made you. He made you to love you, but He made you to grow up and look like Christ, to, to bear the family resemblance. And the reason churches are declining all over our city and nation is because not enough people who go look like Jesus. You can't build a strong church on spiritual infants. We need to grow up. Why don't you take your uh, registration card, if you would, and fill that out. And, and if anything has, has hit you today, if you, if, you know, we always ask you to write something on the back. Almost always. I forgot to last week. I'm disappointed when I get home and I forget to ask you to write something. I turn over and they're all blank. That's just. Um, if you are, if you want to grow up, just, just say that as a prayer to God. God, I want to grow spiritually. And if there's a certain area that you're struggling in, whether it's being positive under pressure or having a mouth or whatever it is, you might just write that down. And if you would like for me to pray for you, put your prayer concerns on there because I, I go over those um, every Sunday afternoon and, and then during the week I like to pick them back up and, and just read and see what's going on in your lives and if there's any way I can pray for you. Um, and it's good for me to be reminded that you still have this prayer concern. and You know, God hasn't answered yet. Please keep praying. Now, we have two baskets at the back. One is our joy basket. All of our church members, regular attenders, that's where we expect you to give. If you're a guest, we never ask for a dime from you unless it's going to World Vision. We'll ask for dimes for that. Um, but the other basket is our registration card basket. And we'll explain that later. Just put those back there. That's where we'll get all that. Let's pray and be dismissed.